TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. The Landback Symposium 2023, Corina Gould on Indigenous Land Trusts. The Landback Symposium was a day-long event at Cal Poly Humboldt, Arcada. It was held on March 24, 2023. The event focused on the indigenous peoples of Northern California and how a growing land-back movement can protect former tribal land from mining, logging, and climate change. Corina Gold is the co-founder and co-director of the Segurite Land Trust. She was born on the ancestral homeland of the Confederated Villages of Lashan, now known as the San Francisco Bay Area. Five of the eight Ohlone tribes lived on that land, and their sacred sites are now buried under cement slabs, and their rivers turned into toxic storm drains, and their food trees were cut. Today, nobody even wonders why there is a city called Oakland. Here first, as introduction to Corina Gold's work, is the recording from November 2022 entitled Rethinking Thanksgiving From Land Acknowledgement to Land Back. Good day, relatives. My name is Karina Gould. I'm the tribal chair for the Confederated Villages of Lashan Nation. I'm coming to you today from my home territory of Huchun. I am a uh, short brown woman with her hair back in a braid wearing a turquoise top. Behind me is the mountain that we call Tuyushtak. And Tuyushtak is the name of the mountain of where we were created in this territory, born to the waterway of the Lashan. Um, when this creation mountain um, was the creation place of five different tribes that the Confederation is made up of. And it was this creation place for thousands and thousands of years prior to colonization. Once colonizers got here, they renamed this mountain Mount Diablo or Devil Mountain. So for thousands of years, it was a place of, of creation, like many people's creation stories all over the world. When colonization happened, they bastardized the sacredness of our places. They took away the places that we hold dear to us. And that really is what colonization does. We believe that colonization first attacks the sacredness of the land and takes us away from those sacred places and then takes away the sacredness of women and treats it as they do the private land ownership that they have created on our territories. Because of this private land ownership, we have been taken away from many of our sacred places. One of the places that we've been fighting for is the West Berkeley Shell Mound. The West Berkeley Shell Mound, or one of our places that along the waterway, that has been there for thousands and thousands of years, that's older than the pyramids of Egypt, is in um, danger of being developed on because private land ownership has more rights than our ancestors in the ground. And so I want to tell you a little bit about the work that we've been doing. So the West Berkeley Shell Mound is this place that is in the Bay Area on 4th and University. It looks like a parking lot today. 
It's the oldest of 425 shell mounds that ringed the Bay Area at one time. These are places that my ancestors built up over thousands of years of burying our ancestors here in the land. They call them shell mounds because we ate lots of shellfish, but they were also a part of who we were as human beings. We used it for trade and for uh, and they were sacred food to us. And so we buried our ancestors in soil and rock and shell. And over thousands and thousands of years, these became our monuments, the monuments of our ancestors' burial sites. We connect our sacred place to our Palestinian relatives that are being taken away from their lands. We connect this place to our relatives in Hawaii who were standing for their sacred mountain, Mauna Kea, and was trying to stop a 40-foot telescope from going on top of their mountain. And as we connect these lands, we stand together night and day to preserve and protect this sacred site. This site has been designated as a landmark in the city of Berkeley for over 20 years. It uh, qualifies for a state and national historic monument. It was on the 11 most endangered historic sites in the country in 2020. And as we went through court cases with developers, we won in the lower courts. And the lower courts likened our shell mount to many ruined sites across the world. While we were in appeals court, the developer put up a six foot fence with barbed wire, locking us out of the site that we have prayed at for thousands of years. And so we stood together with many people from all over the world, including our two spirit non-binary relatives who continue to uphold this sacred place. We are a non-federally recognized tribe. And so we don't have lands in our own homelands. And because of that, we are unable to stand in the same kind of a way as a federally recognized tribe. While we've been doing this work for over two decades to protect and preserve our sacred places in the Bay Area that are now under railroad tracks and bars and schools, apartment buildings and parking lots, we've been looking for a way to preserve and protect these sites in a different kind of way. Although we have an unbroken tie for thousands of years, to this land through missionization of the Catholic Church, the Mexican Rancho period, and the current occupation of the United States. We owned no land, uh, including our tribal members. We take care of five different counties in the Bay Area, Alameda County being one of them. Alameda County has over 425,000 square miles. None of that is Lashawn land until recently. We've been praying to protect this site with people from all over the world that have come and laid down their prayers with us. People that are indigenous people, but also people that are Muslim and Jewish and Christian, Tibetan and Korean and Aztec dancers, people from the Amazon and from Oak Flats come and pray at this site to recognize this sacred place. Then we lay down prayers around this fence that uh, covered up our sacred place. And today there are people from indigenous countries from uh, Asia that are laying down prayers as we speak on this webinar. We wanna talk about rematriation and what is that? When we look at returning ourselves to a balance, 
we talk about restoring a liberty culture to its rightful place on Mother Earth, to restore a people to its spiritual way of life and sacred relationship to their ancestral lands without external interference. And this is important because as a non-federally recognized tribe, we have only had outside interference when we've tried to pray. We've had to ask permission from park districts and private land ownerships. It's our responsibility to continue to do this work for the future generations, not just our generations, future generations, but for everyone that now lives in our land. And so we started the first urban indigenous women-led land trust in the country, a way for us to use a tool of a nonprofit to bring land back into indigenous hands. This first piece of land was given back to us, a quarter acre of land where the circle of people are in order for us to reconnect with the land, to remember our ancestral ways, to not have to ask for outside interference. We put up that first log for an arbor uh, two and a half years ago. This is the women's log going up. We had a man's log, a children's log, an elder's log, and a two-spirit non-binary log that went up before the rest of them did. This arbor is our central point now, a place in deep East Oakland, surrounded by our creek on one side and the freeway on the other. But this place is so close to where our ancestors would have left a, a village site, underneath that freeway that's built on marshlands that is now filled up. A block away is one of our shell mounts. It's along our creekway that we're named after, our waterway, the Lashon Way. So we know that our ancestors have been working with us to return land, the first land to be returned to us and the first arbor in our territory in 250 years. We're restoring language and culture. Then, though there's 78 languages spoken in the Bay Area, Chochenyo is not one of them. My daughter, Deja Gould, is returning that language, reawakening it. My great-grandfather was one of the last speakers of that language. We ask people from all walks of life to stand with us to protect our sacred sites as people from all different places around the world have come to make this their home. We feel that it is their responsibility along with ours to protect these sites forever. We take care of the land as the land takes care of us, rejuvenating it and reminding each other that human beings need to have their hands in the land as a part of a way of helping us spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Working on creating Hameka's points of, of service for people when there's man-made and natural-made disasters, ensuring there's food and first aid and fresh water, and working with the cities that are close by us to remember recognizing us as the First Nation people on signage and on murals and creating parks that we're able to work on, renaming parks that are in our territories from Andrew Jackson Park to Chochenyo Park, raising our flag over cities that are in our territories and remembering that we are still here, the First Nation people who have never left, working on rematriating the land for the next seven generations remembering our responsibilities as good hosts, asking for people that live in our territories to be good guests on our lands, to work in reciprocity with the lands and waters, to ensure that we have good air, good water, good soil, to grow our medicines and our foods in order for us to survive the climate disaster. We think about remembering 
remember to think about giving back. And today is the last day of our show that we're doing an exhibit called Return, asking people that are hoarding things that their ancestors may have had in their closets or in their attics, things that were taken away from indigenous people to return them as a part of this Thanksgiving year. We look forward to working with all of our relatives from all walks of life to ensure the stability of our people. As long as we are still here on this land to do our ceremonies, the world will continue to move. That was Corina Gold on Rethinking Thanksgiving. Four months later, she was the invited speaker at the Landback Symposium 2023 on Indigenous Land Trusts. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Karina Gould. I'm the tribal chair for the Confederated Villages of Lashan Nation, and I'm also the co-founder and co-director of the Segorite Land Trust. I've been working with Janella LaRose, who is Shoshone, Bannock, and Ute, and raised her children in the Bay Area. We've been working on sacred site protection in my tribal territory for almost 30 years. Now, first, I want to say thank you so much to the Wiat people and for all of the folks that brought us all together. I'm lucky that um, I'm here because of my ancestors. And I think that we all heard that through many different threads today about how we are not the first ones to do this work, that we're a continuum of our ancestors that have been doing this work since colonization started. And our work really was around protection of sacred sites in the Bay Area to begin with. And it was about prayer and it was about shell mounds and how no one knew what shell mounds were in the Bay Area until we started doing this work. And we did walks to these shell mounds um, for many years. And we walked from a place called Segorite, one of our tribal territories and village sites along the Carquina Strait. And we walked down to San Jose and up to San Francisco. It's a 300 mile walk walking 18 miles a day, stopping at shell mounds that were underneath railroad tracks and parking lots and schools and bars and apartment buildings and laying down prayers, asking our ancestors to remember us as we were remembering them. And things began to move and shift. Um, our ancestors during the 19, late 1990s started to show themselves a lot again. What I mean by that is that there was a lot of development that was happening in the Bay Area. Internet was created. That's why we get to see our beautiful Auntie Priscilla up there today and why we've been able to be on Zoom calls for thousands of hours over the last three years and all of that fun stuff, right? But um, when the Internet came into the Bay Area, it brought in all of this money, new money, that, and it was forcing people out of the Bay Area. And so this wave of gentrification happened and, you know, Indians are always the first ones to be gentrified out of our territories. It was continuing to happen through this wave, right? But as that was happening, things were being built a lot and our ancestors were showing themselves. Cemeteries were being destroyed for swimming pools and malls and elevators for um, schools and that's why we started to do this walk because we are taught about in fourth grade that we know a lot we didn't exist anymore. Krober said in his famous California Indian book that we didn't exist anymore. 
the federal government said we didn't exist anymore. I grew up in fourth grade hearing that we didn't exist anymore. My children went to school in, in elementary school being told they didn't exist anymore, and yet here we are. We are still here. We know where our sacred sites are. We know our responsibilities. And so when we did this walk around the Bay Area, it was these prayers that came up. It was about standing against these developments. It was about doing all of that kind of work. And then in 2011, we took over a sacred site that had two of our shell mounds, 13 acres of open space along the Carquina Strait a prayer ceremonial place for our salmon as they come up the waterways and they go back into the ocean as babies. This place had was about to be destroyed. And in 2011, the city of Vallejo filed bankruptcy and in filing bankruptcy gave the park district $30,000 worth of permits for free in order to destroy that site. We lit a sacred fire that lasted for 109 days and we took that site over through prayer and People from all different walks of life and intertribal people came and they laid down prayers at that fire and they stayed with us and they prayed with us and they protected that site. And that site changed each and every one of us. We thought we were going to protect the land and the land transformed us into a different peoples. It reminded us how to be human beings again. People came and when they shut off the water after a week, People made it their job to bring us water every morning before work and to pick up the empty containers afterwards. People understood how to take care of one another like we were a village again that had once been there for thousands of years. It was the last stronghold for my ancestors on the Carquina Strait before they were pulled into Mission Dolores in San Francisco. And so that place is now why we call it the Segorite Land Trust. It's named after that village. Segorite didn't come into existence for a few more years as we were trying to figure out what to do next. And as we were all kind of going through PTSD, coming back into this real world, whatever that means, after being living in ceremony and in community for four and a half months, it changes you. My children will tell you that I became a changed person when I went back home, that I wasn't the same mom and I wasn't the same person anymore. But we realized that um, we had a tool that we hadn't used before, that there was a cultural easement that was created on that land without us. It would not have been created if it wasn't for us standing for that land. But we missed out on a we missed out on an opportunity because we didn't know about something called a land trust. We were busy for almost two decades fighting developers all the time, running after what is a draft EIR? How do you answer these questions? When do you show up to these meetings that nobody knows about in the regular general public? And who's gonna teach you? And we teach ourselves these things as people that love our land and our, and our ceremonial places and our people. And so our friend Beth Rose Middleton, who was pregnant at the time with her son, invited me to a meeting of Native Land Trusts in Southern California. And Mountain Maidu was there, and Dune Lankard was there, and, and a handful of Native Land Trusts. And I understood that Native people were creating land trusts to buy back their own land, to lease back an acre of land to tell their stories, creating cultural easements so that they can exist again and so when I came back from that meeting, I talked to Janella 
and we talked about creating this land trust, an urban indigenous women-led land trust in the Bay Area that was intertribal because so many Native women came to my territory through forced relocation policies of the United States government. And that so many generations of those women and those children who we helped to doula came here and that they needed a place also to be a part of in an urban area. And so that was the creation of the Segorite Land Trust. But not only was it important for it to be an Indian land trust, a native land trust, it was important that there be women leadership. Because as my friend Dune Lankard told me at that first meeting of land trust, when I asked him, as I sat in that room full of indigenous men running these land trusts, I said, is it only men that run land trusts? And he laughed and he said, kind of, but not only native land trusts, all land trusts. And so Janella and I began to talk about what does that mean? How does that correlate with women and indigenous women? How was the sacredness of us and the sacredness of our bodies taken away through colonization? How was our leadership taken away because colonizers wouldn't talk to women leaders? How does that happen? And how do we bring come back as we're all facing climate disaster back into a relationship where there's matriarchal leadership? And so that's how we came up with this. And I'm going to stop talking because I'll keep on talking. <laughs> During the question and answer session, Corina Gold was asked about conservation easements. Conservation easements used to displace indigenous people. Well, here we are, sitting in Humboldt State University, and we're all displaced from somewhere. So, you know, I, I think that when colonizers and settlers came to our territories, the first thing they did was displace the Native people, displace us from our sacred places, um, take us away from our traditional ways of life, displaced us from our foodways, displaced us from our waters, displaced us from everything. And so the conservation easements are interesting. Because what I understand, and I'm not saying that I understand everything at all, but what I do understand is that wilderness was created by somebody else. It wasn't created by us, right? It was this idea that this wild out there uh -huh. and our indigenous people have always had their hands on the land. Human beings are supposed to have their hands on the land because we are a part of it, not apart from it. Right. And I think that that's where this whole new society has really gone wacko or sideways about it. Right. Is because we place ourselves as human beings above all other creation when we were the last ones to be brought onto this place. And so as human beings, we've gotten awry. And so this idea of private land ownership, cultural conservation easements. Um, corporate ownership has really messed us up. Conservation easements right now, when we were first putting together a reserved interest cultural easement on the land that we had returned to us from the city of Oakland, it took us a long time to figure that out. And we worked with a person, Brendan Moriarty, who worked for Trust for Public Land for many years, and then became the real estate person for the city of Oakland. And we sat and we tried to figure out because there are no laws that make it legal for a city to return land. 
There's, there's nothing there. We looked for it. It's a five-year process for us to do that. And so we came up with this particular tool to use. And the reserved interest easement, cultural easement, is something that we've heard a little bit about. And we know that they use it with other tribes that are not federally recognized. But the language is always, you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to ask permission for this, you can't do this, you can't do this. These are all the things you can't do. And we were just like, no, that's not the language we want to talk about here. We want to talk about what we can do and how we're going to be able to do it. And so actually the reserved interest cultural easement that we created gives us almost all rights and the city only has a few reserved rights like closing the land when it's during fire, um, where, where there's a big high risk of fire, um, being able to send police up onto that city land um, in case of emergencies, being able to do those kinds of things. But it wasn't still enough. And so we understand. So we don't have title to the land. We have this cultural easement, right? This reserved cultural easement. We're trying to figure out how to use these tools that were never ours to begin with and to flip them on their head so that we can use them, right? While the laws and legislature catches up to what they're supposed to do and give us the land back to begin with. Um, and I don't know if this is what to the answer to the question that you wanted, but there's horrible things that happen. We're in conversation with another group that is a nonprofit that is purchasing land and will give us title deed is another way of getting land back. Um, but they have the Williamson Act on most of that. And so you're not allowed to do anything on that land, right? You can't really grow anything on it. I mean, you can't grow food, but like uh, agricultural food and stuff like that, you can't build on it or anything and you have to leave it. Or they have a lot of them in California, as you know, because we apparently, you know, love cows here or something, but so they're allowed to run all over our sacred sites and destroy all of our waterways and stuff like that. You know, not that I don't like a good steak every once in a while, but these ag ones, these, these easements, right, disallows us from actually tending to the land the way that it's supposed to and putting in our relatives that are supposed to be on that land to begin with and to re-nurture that land and to re- revitalize that land in that kind of way. And so then we have to sit it out and wait. But like I say, we've been here forever. We're not going anywhere. My grandchildren are growing up on this land. And so they'll do it when that Williamson Act is done. And so the most important thing to do is to get that land back into indigenous hands so that we can begin to dream and do that work again. You know, it took us uh, all these years. Last year was the very first time that the park district, East Bay Regional Park District, gave all tribal members a pass to get onto our own land for free. Otherwise, they were asking us to pay parking fees just like everybody else. But that was an ongoing relationship that we wouldn't give up in order for us to do that. So people are conservation easements or land trusts. What we knew as, as we started this was that most of them were putting up fences, but it said no trespassing, keep out. And what I do know about Native Land Trust, it's about engaging human beings back into what we're supposed to do as human beings, touching that land and being a part of it again and remembering what our responsibilities are. That was Karina Gold, co-founder and co-director of the Segurite Land Trust. She is spokeswoman and tribal chair of the Confederated Villages of Lashan, Ohlone 
now known as the San Francisco Bay Area. This recording was made on March 24 at the Land Back Symposium 2023, location Cal Poly Humboldt, California. You can find video of all sessions on the website of californiasalmon.org forward slash landback. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. My name is Maria Gelarden. Thank you for listening.